Congregation of Christ, it seems to me that if you're the head of a household in the Old Covenant times, you had to have a pretty good knowledge of how to be a butcher. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking maybe Reverend Anima should preach this passage of Scripture since he grew up in a butcher's home. (laughs) It's a bloody affair, isn't it? What is going on here? We had the burnt offering, the grain offering, the burnt offering being a bloody offering, the grain offering being a bloodless offering, the burnt offering signifying man giving his whole heart, his whole being to God, the grain offering symbolizing man giving the works of his labors, the fruit of his hands to the Lord with thanksgiving, because it is God, in fact, who blesses the work of man's hands on the field and produces the harvest. And now we come to a peace offering. We've been looking at the sacrifices that foreshadowed the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. And we've been looking at this because of Lord's Day 6 and how it addresses the necessity of a Redeemer, a mediator who must be true God and true man. And the catechism goes on to say, well, how do we know about this mediator? Where do we learn about this mediator and redeemer? And question and answer 19 points us to the Holy Gospel. How do you know about this? The Holy Gospel tells us. And a part of the answer is that these sacrifices and ceremonies of the Old Testament are foreshadowings of the coming of this redeemer and mediator. That's why we're looking at Leviticus 1 through 7, landing this evening on chapter 3. Tonight we come to the peace offering. We had the burnt offering, grain offering, and now the peace offering. What is the purpose of the peace offering? What is the purpose of the peace offering? Chapter 7 of Leviticus unpacks more thoroughly what the purpose of the peace offering is. If you will turn with me to chapter 7. You see, the, the peace offering was an offering that went along with, in addition to the burnt and grain offering. It was placed upon those other offerings. At verse 11 of chapter 7, we hear this, and this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread, and from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord, It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. I'll get back to the rest of the passage later. But the peace offering was a sacrifice of thanksgiving. It was also a sacrifice of one giving a vow to God, making a vow to God. It was a free will offering of man giving to God. An offering of thanksgiving. Like the grain offering, the peace offering is a sacrifice of thanksgiving. Like the burnt offering, the peace offering was a bloody sacrifice. (laughs) 
You see the similarity between the similarities between the peace offering and the grain offering and the peace offering and the burnt offering. They're interconnected, related. Like the burnt offering, the peace offering was a bloody sacrifice that was re- required to be accepted by God and to have one's sins atoned for. So the purpose of the peace offering was, it was to be a thanksgiving offering, a thanksgiving sacrifice, but it was also to be accepted by God as he brought the animal at the entrance of the tent of meaning, like the burnt offering. It had to be offered to the Lord to be accepted. To be accepted. But notice the animal, unlike the burnt offering, this animal from the herd was, can be either male or female without blemish. Male or female. The burnt offering required a male only without blemish. This one was male or female without blemish. And the worshiper laid his hand on the animal who would be the worshiper's representative or substitute like the burnt offering was. And the worshiper was worshiping by slaughtering the animal himself. The priest taking the blood of the animal and threw it over the altar and offered the fat kidneys, the fat around the kidneys, the fat around the liver, and the fat tail of the lamb on the altar of the Lord to be burned up. For what purpose? For what purpose? Leviticus 19 says, When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. Leviticus 19, verse 5. So it's an offering of thanksgiving. It's an offering to be accepted by God. Whenever animal is brought to the Lord in a sacrifice, it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving and acceptance, but it's also a sacrifice. The purpose of it is a sacrifice to give atonement because the priest does what? He throws the blood all over the altar. And what does the blood signify? The blood is the life of the animal. The life of the animal is given over he is your subst- it becomes the worshiper's substitute. Life for life. Life for life. The animal's life is given for your life to be presented before God. Atonement. Atonement means to be covered. A covering. A protection. From what? From God's judgment and wrath, just like the burnt offering. God required the death of a substitute to accept his people into his presence so that they may be atoned for their sin. There's atonement and there's acceptance. They're accepted and atone, their sins atoned for so that they may seek the Lord's face. Be in the Lord's presence. And this leads to the second Point, the meaning or significance of the peace offering. Some interpreters call the peace offering the fellowship offering because of the nuance of the Hebrew word. 
The peace offering is an offering that the worshiper brings to God to have fellowship or communion with the Lord. The burnt offering, the worshiper commits his whole life to the Lord. The grain offering, the worshiper commits the labors of his hands, the fruit of his labors to the Lord. All of it. The peace offering is a fellowship offering where the worshiper comes to sit in the presence of the Lord and enjoy God's blessing. The God of the Bible is so unique among the false gods of this world. Here we have the creator of all things, the creator God, who called Israel to be his people, his prized possession. Israel sins against the creator God. The creator God does not abandon, but he wants fellowship with his people. So much so that he prescribes the means to have fellowship with him. I want you to think about the implications of that. That the God of heaven and earth who is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, the God who is holy other and holy, righteous, and just, the God who is in the heavenly places, his throne is in the heavens, and the earth is his footstool, says, I want to have fellowship with you, and here are the, here's the way to do it. He says, bring to me the fat of the animal, of this particular sacrifice. First, the meaning or significance of the peace offering, offering is this, that all fat belongs to the Lord. What does that mean? The fat of the animal, its kidneys, are offered on the altar of the Lord. The fat part of the lobe of the liver, not the liver, but the fatty part that connects to the liver there. The fat tail of the lamb, all of that is offered on the altar and burned. Verse 16 and 17, look with me in your Bible, Leviticus 3, 16 and 17. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All fat is the Lord's. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. It's difficult to determine why the Lord required the fat portion in kidneys. Perhaps, perhaps that is the most prized part of the animal, the rich part of the animal. For example, Psalm 63, verse 5, may shed some light on the significance of the fat portion. David says this, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. You know, in our Western culture, fat has a bad rap. <laughs> but we in DeMont love our bacon, right? We're good there. But in other countries, fat is a delicatessen. In Ukraine, the national food is sala. And sala is nothing but pure pig fat. Fat that is ground together, placed in the oven, and baked. And you grab some crackers and you just eat fat. But that's the case in Middle Eastern cultures. Most cultures, 
Fat is a delicatessen. It's a prized part of the animal. It's a rich part of the animal. And it is possible, I, I believe, most likely that the fat of the animal was the choice of richest part of the animal that satisfied the Lord. As David was satisfied with fat and rich food, the Lord says, all fat it belongs to me. All fat satisfies me. And when you do this, we enjoy fellowship together. The kidneys, the kidneys are often used in the Bible figuratively, referring to the affections of the heart, the seat of man's emotions and affections. Today we like to use the word the heart. We refer to the organ, the heart. My heart is filled with joy. Well, in the ancient Near East, they would say, my kidneys are filled with joy. It was that heart of affection. And so the worshiper is bringing the kidneys, the fat, the richest parts of the animal to the Lord. I want you to think about this for a minute. Imagine you're a Jewish boy or girl growing up learning the Torah, the first five books of Moses. You hear verse 17, you shall not eat blood, you shall not eat the fat of the animal. Then Jesus comes. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you shall not have eternal life. Imagine you're a Jewish boy and you learn this from the, the Torah, the, the book of Moses. You will see surely how Jesus is the fulfillment of the peace offering. So first, all fat belongs to the Lord. That is one of the purposes of, or one of the significances of the peace offering. That it was bringing the prized, richest part of the animal to the Lord because he is worthy of it. Second, the worshiper, it also means, another significance of it is that the worshiper, the priest, and God participate in the sacrificial offering and enjoy fellowship with one another. Both the priest and the offerer, the worshiper, gets to eat of the meal. And so God is pleased with the food offering, the aroma that is on the altar. But then he tells the priest that here's your allotted part and people of God who, who offered me this rich food. Here's your portion. Turn with me to Leviticus 7 once again. Verse 15. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of his offering. 
He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a free will offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day, what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity. The worshiper offers the food offering, the priest offers the blood and fat on the altar. Both participate in this offering. But now God apportions to the priests, and we see later on in Leviticus 7, that the priests are given the, the, um, the right thigh of the animal and also the breast of the animal. That is their portion. And for the worshiper, the offerer, they are given the rest of the animal. And they are to eat it within a certain time period. And so they are eating in the presence of God. Friends, they are eating, they are fellowshipping with the Lord. It's a celebratory meal. A meal of giving thanks. What a reason to be thankful that I not only offered this sacrifice to God, but God is so gracious to eat with me and offer me a portion of the animal so that I may be fed and that his ministers, the priests, are given a portion of the animal for their family to eat and so that all the covenant community is eating of this fellowship celebratory meal. This is the uniqueness of this particular offering, the peace offering, that God's people are coming together in peace with their God, having fellowship with Him, and they are enabled to do it because of a sacrifice that has been made, a, sub a substitute. Another reason, a third reason why it's significant the meaning of the peace offering is that each participant must be ceremonially clean before partaking of the offering. They must be ceremonially clean. No impurity found in them because it is a holy food for a holy people. Because God is holy and to have fellowship with Him means to be holy The participants must be ceremonially clean. And we see this in Leviticus 7, don't we? Leviticus 7, beginning at verse 19. Look with me in your Bible, beginning at verse 19. Again, like I said, Leviticus 7 flushes out. It unpacks for us the peace offering. Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings 
while an uncleanness is, is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches any unclean thing, whether a human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, and then eats some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. To have fellowship with God and to eat of the sacred holy meal requires that the participant, the worshiper, is clean. Because God is holy and we are not. Our sin grieves Him. Our grief is ugly in the sight, in God's eyes, in His sight. But God makes the way to fellowship with Him so that unclean sinners, through the means that He prescribes, can be clean and eat and have fellowship with Him. And oh, how often, I described last week, how often they gave their burnt and grain offerings every day, morning and evening, We can't miss the grace of God even in these sacrificial offerings, friends. Because God is pointing through these sacrificial offerings to the one whom He will send, who will be the true substitute, the Redeemer. The grace of God here in Leviticus 3 feeds the faith of the worshiper as they participated in the sacrifice, in the offering, and enjoyed the, the sacrifice of the animal by eating of its flesh, roasted over fire perhaps, however they cooked it, they ate with their covenant God. You see why eating a meal is so important in the Bible? You see why it was so countercultural for Jesus to eat with tax collectors and sinners? How he fellowshiped with them? In this sacrifice, this fellowship offering, God evokes in the people of God such a powerful, tangible visual of what it takes, what is needed, what is necessary to have fellowship with Him. You cannot walk away from a sacrifice like this and say, oh, that was... that was nothing. I didn't get anything out of that. No, the Lord was showing the worshiper very clearly of who He is and what He requires. But even shows, God even shows a more real and tangible way, a more powerful way in the fulfillment of the peace offering. The burnt offering and peace offerings were bloody, a bloody mess. And for the Israelite, it evoked the seriousness of sin and the holiness of God. I once had somebody recently say to me, commenting on this sermon series, man, it was an ugly scene but it was necessary. I said, you're right. It was an ugly scene, but it was necessary. How much more the scene at the cross of Calvary.
for the salvation of your soul and the forgiveness of your sins so that you have fellowship with the living God. How much more Christ's sacrifice to make that peace offering between God and man. While the burnt offering foreshadowed the life and death of Jesus, so too the peace offering or fellowship offering foreshadowed the death of Christ because through Jesus we have fellowship with the Father and the Son and through Christ we have fellowship with one another. Because when they ate of that peace offering, they ate together. They fellowshiped together. If you're taking notes, 1 John chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Through our substitute, our sins are atoned for, and God accepts us on the basis of Christ's suffering once and for all on the cross. It is a pleasing aroma to God. It is that rich choice food offering to the Father that satisfies the Father. The Father looks upon the sacrifice of the Son and the Father is satisfied. He is satisfied at His Son's offering. The specific meaning of each sacrifice is fulfilled in Christ and taught in God's Word and in the sacrament of Holy Communion or what we call also the Eucharist, as I brought up last week for the grain offering. The Eucharist, which it comes from the Greek, Eucharisto, which means I give thanks. We celebrate fellowship with the Lord, but we don't meet Him at the altar of sacrifice. We meet Him at the table of the Lord. You follow me? Because His blood has been spilled, His atonement is once for all. And we celebrate a meal. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of Me. We celebrate a bloodless sacrament pointing to the bloody offering of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. What else do we call it? Holy what? Communion. Holy communion. Because we commune with the Lord through the sacrament, through the preaching of the Word. Through the bread of life, Jesus Christ, the one who says, Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will not have life. But we have life, and we partake of the one bread. We eat the flesh and drink the blood symbolized in the bread and wine of Holy Communion that unites us to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and unites us to one another. That's why it's been the practice of Holy Communion to be partaken with God's people in public worship. In our forms and prayers book, 
there's a longer uh, form to the Lord's Supper. I want to read a portion of it. This sheds light on what we're talking about here. Part of it says, By this same Spirit we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love. As the Apostle Paul says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce, one, uh, produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior Jesus Christ. He loved us so greatly in order that we might show His love toward one another, not only in words but also in deeds. In the peace offering, God required that the people eat with ceremonially clean hands. But in the coming of Christ, it wasn't about food anymore. It wasn't about being ceremonially clean because Christ fulfilled that. It's a matter of the heart. Christ, by His blood and Spirit, cleanses the heart. Think about this. He cleanses your heart, Christian, so that you are accepted by Him, atoned by His blood, able to give thanksgiving to Him, call to the Lord's table to partake of the meal, because you have clean hands and a clean heart by the grace of God, we are not cut off, but we are brought in. We are brought in. We are made clean because Jesus' blood and spirit washes us clean. We are partakers of the heavenly food or manna, the body and blood of Christ. Do you get at least a little glimpse of how much faith it took for a Jew in the days of Jesus to accept him as Lord and Savior? Because I dare to say we would all be in their position having the same response apart from God's grace and spirit working in our hearts calling us to himself to partake of his flesh and blood so that we may have life. I want to conclude with the following observation. What does the world think about a passage like Leviticus 3? Maybe you're sitting in here unfamiliar about biblical truth, what the Bible teaches concerning these things. This is barbaric! <laughs> I could hear my friends say that to me. Barbaric! This is archaic! No civilized world does this. As they would tell me, what are you smoking? Think about these sacrifices that the Lord prescribed. Think about the cross of Calvary. What does the world think of that? How does the world view 
the cross. A bloody mess as the Savior hung on the cross. Blood running down His face from the thorns placed on His head. Blood and water gushing out from His side when He was struck with a spear. This is barbaric. This is archaic. No civilized world does this. What does this even mean? He died for nothing. They don't see the truth behind the cross of Christ because they are spiritually discerned. Unbelief cannot understand the things of God and the true significance of the cross of Christ and why our Lord would shed His precious blood on the cross. And as it relates to the peace or fellowship offering, it means to us that it is only through the shed blood of Christ, only through the cross that we have fellowship with the Father, only through the cross that we are justified by grace through faith, only through the cross do we have life eternal, only through the cross that we commune with God our Father, only through the cross that we are able to call God our Father. Wow! That like the Israelites who were called by the Creator God who said in the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that God, that Sovereign, that Lord called Israel, well that same God called us, Christian. That same God called us and He calls us to fellowship through the Son. And the only way you're going to have fellowship with the Father and eat of the flesh and blood of the Christ is by fixing the eyes of faith upon Him. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And so I say to you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and have fellowship with God. Because He who does not eat of the flesh and drink of the blood will not have life. And the only life that is worth living is life with God and Christ. Amen. Pray. O oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ who shed his precious blood to bring us back to you, Father. To unite us to himself so that we may have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And the cross is the only way to you, Father. We thank you for the resurrection we thank you that Jesus, the one who died, is also the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord who rose from the dead. He is indeed the resurrection and the life. And life is worth the living just because he lives. 
as the hymn writer penned. We pray, O Lord, that our fellowship with you would be ever so sweet throughout the course of our days as we look to Jesus, our mediator, our redeemer. May every day be a day of rejoicing, a day of giving thanks because you have accepted us through the atoning work of your Son. And we now fellowship with you with hearts cleansed and consciences cleansed by his blood. Oh, Father, be with us in this week. Grant us your grace to go forth as those living our lives to the glory of your name and always ready, always ready to give a reason for the hope that we have in Jesus.